everything's always up for debate. Everything's always up for development. So every single menu, it doesn't matter how well something's selling. We always ask ourselves, is it as good as it should be? Is it as good as it can be? Is this the best version of this that we can do? I think that most vegans, the longer they're vegan, the less likely they are to start eating meat alternatives. I think you gradually kind of grow out of it. Hey guys, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Catch-Ups in My Kitchen with me, Georgia Simmons, host of the podcast. This week, we are joined by the creative mind and head development chef of the plant-based restaurants, Mildred's and Mallow. If you're listening to this and you haven't been to either restaurant, go, 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 go. Whether you're plant-based or not, you will have a delicious meal, which will not disappoint. The crazy thing about Mildred's is that it first opened in 1988. That's 35 years ago. So it was so ahead of its time and it used to be this really cool, innovative restaurant that artists, actors and comedians would go to. So in this episode, I wanted to sit down with Sarah Waserman to talk about what goes into creating the menu, the innovation behind the restaurants, where the inspiration comes from and why the food tastes so delicious. For all you foodies out there, this episode is for you and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me in my kitchen. How are you? Very good, thank you. I'm on a bit of a kind of nine-day stretch of cook-offs, so a little bit. Wow. This must be (laughs) getting into the busy season for you now. Yeah, so we actually do um, Christmas in the summer. So we're eating Christmas dinner in August, which is always interesting. That's quite strange. (laughs) That's quite strange. I can imagine that being really, really odd. Yeah, it's like, it's hard to get into the mood for eating a full roast dinner when it's like... when it's warm outside. It's It's like like 45 degrees outside. Yeah, you're like, there's a reason why we eat this in winter. Yeah, it makes sense. Definitely. So for those who don't know you, do you mind giving a quick elevator pitch? Who you are, what you do? Um, So I'm Sarah Westman and I'm newly so I've just changed my job title from head of food development to creative director and and director of food for Mildred's and Mallet restaurants amazing 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 I mean I am plant-based have been for a while and I think Mildred's and Mallow are the best plant-based restaurants in London I'm not just saying this because you're here I genuinely do think they are so so good so I'm excited to get into all of this before we do though we have a quick fire round about all things food which Mm -hmm. is always fun so sweet or savory savory pizza or pasta pasta what is your go-to cuisine oh that's really hard because it changes all the time at the moment Indian Mm, good one cook in or eat out cook in and what is your favorite delivery Oh, well, I don't really do much yeah, takeaway. see, a lot of people say that here, and I love it when they do. I'm like, these are my people. I don't either. Yeah. Like, I can't remember the last time I had a delivery. I'm really lucky in that we have a really good, really authentic Szechuan restaurant near, but they're not on delivery. And it's like right in my neighborhood. And I live in like the boondocks. Like I live in the, like we're clinging to London by our fingernails kind of place. So it's just dumb luck that we have this really, really good restaurant that make their own tofu. Oh, yeah. So that's my go-to, which is good friend in Hines Park, which I don't think is going to be very useful to anyone, but. That's really nice though. Nice to have that on your doorstep. (laughs) Yeah. So to start off with, do you mind giving me a little bit of an insight into where your love for food and cooking came from? I'm going to say my family for sure. So my grandpa was a massive foodie before it was even like a thing and their kitchen was just bonkers so they had like hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks and their kitchen had it had a flat grill an arga a convection oven a thermomix like two different kinds of waffle irons like wow they had they had a built-in benchtop deep fat fryer they had like every slow cooker so we definitely grew up with a lot of of kind of I guess you'd say it's kind of English traditional but very foodie so like for his birthday we got you know a Michelin star chef cooked in his house um and but we were like as well I think that kind of went all the way through my family so like my you know my parents got married really young 
we didn't have like a ton of money um and they were really like how do you cook innovatively with not that much food without without sorry not that not kind of really expensive ingredients how not to be wasteful kind of get ahead on stuff like so I think everyone in my family is very foodie my brother is a professional chef as well um so yeah it's definitely we grew up with food obsession amazing I mean Christmas day and hosting in your house must be amazing yes <laughs> yes though no, we always like we're planning it's not just a work that we're planning in August we're planning <laughs> we're like, planning starts early <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we're like we get done with one Christmas and then we're like planning the next one and then wow. my husband like my husband's Jewish so we also do Hanukkah we also do Passover so yeah we just yeah, yeah we're all everything. about it yeah I love it and then what about your career how did your career get into chefing and food um so I was vegetarian as a teenager and like a lot of vegetarians it just wasn't I mean especially back when I was young like it wasn't like there were a ton of options there were a lot of those kind of like bean pots that you had to rehydrate with hot water and like tofu was like really hard to get and no one knew how to cook it when I went vegetarian it was really hard for like my family to kind of get their heads around as well so I just got really interested in food so my first job was working at a Whole Foods in North Carolina which is basically like oh I can get the discount on all my veggie stuff yeah I can get the really nice food now this is my old kingdom so like I've been in food since I was 15 like my first job was in food and then I kind of went from like because I lived in when I was a teenager I lived in the states and I kind of went traveling I worked in like all these kind of earthy little kind of whole foods places that you like grind your own flour and was making tofu brownies and all that so I've seen like quite a long um quite a big transition in the whole vegetarian vegan food scene so I was vegan when I was like quite young and it was really odd like no one knew what to do with you kind of thing so that's definitely changed now although I think the stigma still remains with some people like I'm the only plant-based in my family yeah and they're just like oh you're so annoying and I'm like but I'm really not like I'm not in London I'm, I'm yeah, normal yeah, in London is fine like, yeah. it's like in London I have options it's just when you leave right that you're yeah. just like oh wait a minute yeah people, this is a problem in some places people are like you're, you're what and I'm like is this still a thing are we still talking about this now like come on people yeah we just got like a sharp shock like traveling as a family in France like my daughter's like young and you know she's vegan and it was so hard to explain to people in France it was like no she can't eat loads of cream and eggs like it's just it's not an option for her no she doesn't eat fish she doesn't eat chicken like so it's yeah crazy so your daughter's vegan is that was that her choice did you kind of feed her plant-based food growing up what was the choice with that yeah she's really interesting because we're like a mixed household of you know we all have different eating choices in our household and we're very flexible on that um but netta so she was really dairy allergic which is very common in young children so she was really really severely allergic to milk so it was never an option for her to have that. And then because of that, she never developed a palate for it. She gradually grew out of the, um, of the, to some extent, like she couldn't really have fresh milk, but she just wouldn't, she can't stand the smell of it. Mm. And then with meat for her, it was really about the animals. As soon as she was able to understand that it was an animal, she was like, but I love animals. Like, there's no way I'm doing that. And now it's like, she just wouldn't it wasn't even like it was so natural for her to make that choice but my son's not so we have both yeah things. that's so nice that you have both in the family I think that's really cool because I think she'll then be like I don't mind people who eat me I'm happy with that's their choice mm. this is my choice and I think it's nice to have that differentiation of I'm plant-based because I believe in xyz and you're not because you believe an ABC and that's fine and I think it's good for everyone because like it's good for my son as well because even though he's not he he wouldn't sort of identify like that like he eats mostly plant-based and like he his favorite food is like mushrooms but not just like mushrooms he'll eat like inoki and shimenji and like all the ones that most kids would be like what the hell is that like (laughs) so like quite an exotic palette yeah (laughs) amazing amazing 
And so how did Mildred's come into your life? When did that happen? Yeah, so Mildred's was like, um, I was studying art. I was um, a postgraduate student at the Royal Academy Schools, which is um, right in the center of London. And I, you know, the whole time I was at art school, which was for quite a long time, I always had chefing jobs because I always needed money for like equipment and exhibitions and things like that so um I was just walking around Soho and I saw this really cute little restaurant and I just popped in and I didn't actually even know it was a vegetarian restaurant when I walked in because it was just the funny I mean it's still the same site yeah but there was no big they never had like a kind of big sign outside that said vegetarian it was and just it's like, not saying happy vegan on the front yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, <laughs> exactly which a lot of places do it's like Mildred's yeah so it, it could be anything yeah exactly so I kind of walked in and I, I mean I looked at the menu and everything it just didn't even occur to me um and yeah and I walked in and the head chef interviewed me she was like so are you vegetarian and I was like well yeah and then she was like oh okay because not a lot of us are she was but like a lot of the chefs in the kitchen weren't and I was like I'm not actually it took me a while to twig while she was even asking me vegetarian got you sorry (laughs) didn't put two and two together so then I realized afterwards that it's like it was kind of semi-iconic at the time Mildred's because it really was one of it was just a cool restaurant that vegetarians could go to and there weren't a lot of those in London at the time it was really like you had to do a whole kind of cranks like wicker baskets and like very kind of lentils and very earthy and like it's almost like it was very much pushed as an entire lifestyle whereas Mildred's was just like well we're just a cool little restaurant we just don't serve meat yeah and I think because of that reason we had like a really cool clientele as well so we got all the like rock stars and actresses and like amazing like comedians and like I mean it was not unusual to walk upstairs and see like Radiohead and like oh we had Yoko Ono in we had like it was just like but in this funny little place like yeah amazing yeah but also I don't think many people know that Mildred's I think opened in like 1988 like yeah I, googled, I was like googling yesterday and I was like this is wild they were so ahead of the game yeah it was crazy because then even you know when we're talking about how people react nowadays to me saying that I'm plant-based then it had been like how can you have a meal without meat in it? It, (laughs) How can you do that? Like what's going on? Yeah. I remember the first time my brother who, like I said, he's also a chef, um, but the very other side of the spectrum, like very meat based. The first time he came to visit um, London and go to a Mildred's, he ate a meal first because he just assumed that like it wouldn't be filling because there wouldn't be any meat. So he like ate a full meal and then came and he was like, I had no idea. (laughs) Like I'm so stuffed now. Hilarious. (laughs) That's so, so good. Yeah. But I think Mildred's and Mallow, the food there is delicious. Like you don't even have to be plant-based to appreciate that. So what does it take to make really good plant-based food? Because some restaurants struggle to do it yeah but Mildred's and Mallow is like insane so what do you think makes you guys stand out in terms of the food that you guys prepare what does it take to make good plant-based food well for us it should never be a good version of something that's vegan so it shouldn't ever be like oh this is this is a great vegan pie or burger or you know whatever like stir fry curry whatever we're working on it should just be a great dish mm-hmm. it should never be like a substitute for something it should be a complete thing in itself like you shouldn't think about the fact that it and and it's actually quite common still for people to come into the restaurant and not realize they're in a plant-based restaurant it, there should never be any excuse for it not being excellent it should be excellent and complete as it is and not like oh I've done a pretty good job of substituting something there Mm. um and that's really we really stick to that um and also nothing is ever um everything's always up for debate everything's always up for development so every single menu it doesn't matter how well something's selling we always ask ourselves is it as good as it should be is it as good as it can be is this the best version of this that we can do so we've and also is it is anyone else serving it so we've always tried to be a little bit ahead 
and we're comfortable in that space. That is really cool though, to always be ahead. How do you keep being ahead? Because I think plant-based is changing all the time. And this year, especially, I think it's had a real flip again where people are like, oh, it's not actually good for you. And like, there's a whole, there's so many different debates going on. So how do you stay ahead of the curve? I think we're really lucky that the menu is international. So we're never going to be short of inspiration and we can kind of dip in anywhere we want. This podcast is brought to you by Parla, the sustainable solution to all your oral care needs. After having Dr. Simon Chard on the podcast, one of the co-founders of Parla, I was blown away by the facts that he was telling me, such as every tube of toothpaste that you've ever used still exists on the planet today. And that is because the toothpaste tubes aren't recyclable and they aren't biodegradable. So whether you're looking for a high gloss whitening toothpaste tablet or a chewable mouthwash tablet with extra probiotics, Parla have provided the solution to all your oral care needs in a sustainable format. And they also come in this beautiful packaging, which is glass and hence recyclable. So if you're desperate to join the revolution and help me stop the problem of all this plastic going into our oceans, then use the code Georgia Simmons to get 10% off your order and try Parla today. Head to www.parlatoothpastetabs.com or check the link out in the show notes. Let's get back to the episode. Um, and that's been that's amazing it's quite unusual now most restaurants now in london the trend is to be quite specific quite regionally specific um but we're we can kind of go everywhere so we will we've got literally thousands and thousands of ideas and um so that really helps i mean we recently did a whole research trip to mumbai and you know we could just think about a traditional vegetarian and vegan food from India probably for the rest of our lives like it but then we can still dip into all different concepts so we like to do things um we like to do these deep dive menus for for Mildred so at the moment we've been working on a Caribbean one so that will launch in January and so we just looked at basically all of the foods of the Caribbean islands and did a really really deep dive into like Trinidad and Tobago and Haiti and Jamaica and it's like even from that you could just you could just keep going with that forever. And so that keeps us really fresh. Mm. So I think that's always a good place to start for us. So we'll we'll do like kind of veganuary and summer specials and things for Mildreds that involve really kind of drilling into something. Um, so we did like Brazil last year or... Um, and we the other thing we do is we do these supper clubs for Dalston. Mm. So we do these kind of themed supper clubs so that is a really good way of keeping fresh and then that gives us a little bit of feedback on stuff and we kind of we get a bit of customer feedback and things the other thing that keeps us really fresh is the teams so now we have five mildred's restaurants and two mallow so we have like 160 chefs like from all over the world and that is i mean for us it's just amazing we've got so many great people we can work with so we're working on this perfume menu for one of the supper clubs which we were like oh let's look at kind of all the aromatics let's look at like north africa and iran and so we've got this fantastic chef in dalston jaslani who's from morocco and she she'll come in and i'll like show up to work and she's got like a couscous steamer for me and some traditional moroccan brick pastry and then at the same time, like I'll have Nikesh at Dalston, who's from Kerala, and he'll be telling me about some recipe or like um, Anand, who'll be making me like a roti from scratch. And it's like that that's the resource that just that's the part that's so exciting. And that keeps us really passionate and interested. And that's really cool. Mm. It's really cool that every chef kind of brings their own little toolbox of also their like journeys, their stories, because like food comes from so many different memories and it's yeah growing up you kind of everyone has their own little recipe box in their head of things that they like to cook and and also from different locations and different Mm. cultures and like that's really cool to bring all those together Mm. and then be able to kind of dip into those in the menu that's yeah that's really really cool so when you're creating a menu 
what goes into creating a menu? What kind of things do you have to think about? Because as a consumer, we go in, we look at the menu, we're like, oh, I'm gonna have that. You know, we don't think about what actually goes on behind the scenes. So what kind of things do you have to think about when you're creating the menu? So that's interesting. We're about to start doing that now for a spring menu. So the first thing we do is we do like an on-off sheet. So we look at like everything that we're doing currently and are we happy with it? Does it need adjusting? And then we'll go seasonality. So anything that's like, um, I mean, obviously it's really, really important in plant-based kitchens that you're working with the right plants at the right time of year. So, you know, what's, what's good to use at that season and then where can that fit? And then the other part is, have we got a good international balance? So we try to make sure that you don't lean too heavily on one area. Cause obviously we'll like, one of us will get really passionate about a particular type of cuisine. And then we just want to make everything like, I only want to make things from like Hunan province in China from now on. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I've got to do a bit of everything. Yeah. And, and so that's the kind of starting point and that gives us a good palette to work with. And then as we sort of go from there, it becomes like, we'll get even into the stage where it's like do we have a good color balance across the menu like if you put all the starters on on the table is everything like really beautiful and colorful that is it sort of saying spring or whatever season that you're working with so color is really important to us composition of plates is really important to us so it's all about creating a balance not just in terms of the international influences the type of cooking where it lives in the kitchen like have you got too many things in the pan section or too many things in the salad section um but also like have we got a good range of fresh um satisfying um heat uh fragrance like across each section of the menu so each section has to work in and of itself um but then they have to work together as well like if i'm going to have a boken bap for my main course, like what would I have to start? Like, do I have a good tie-in there? And then desserts, we try to do the same thing with the desserts. So we try to make sure that there's a good range of kind of everything from like your five layer sort of decadent chocolate cake to something that's like a bit lighter and a bit kind of more gentle and a good range of kind of products there as well. So God, there's so much that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That it's... is amazing. <laughs> but amazing what you said about color because I think you eat with your eyes a mm. lot of the time and you don't even realize you do it, but color speaks volumes. And also we're in a world of social media now where mm. before I go to any restaurant, I'm checking the Instagram and like you <laughs> yeah. want to see what's happening and you want to see the plates. And so thinking about how it looks on a plate is actually so important and so key. But I guess you wouldn't really think of that as a consumer. Oh yeah, no, it's really, really important to us. And I think especially because the world of plants is so colorful and so beautiful, right? And we want to represent that really well. Like we want to make sure that you're getting like splashes of pink beetroot and fresh green leaves and, you know, turmeric infused potato cakes. So you're getting like, like gorgeous colors coming through. And that's part of what makes cooking with plants so exciting. And we definitely, we think really hard about how to deliver that and whether something looks right for Mildred's, does it look right for Mallow? Like what are the kind of, some of it becomes quite instinctive, but it's also like, um, like I, I just know if something feels like a Mildred's dish now to me, like, yeah. So uh, that's one of my questions. How do Mildred's and Mallow differ? So Mildred's for me, like I said, is like, we, for Mildred's, we do kind of the deep dive stuff and we'll, we'll really focus on traditional dishes from different areas and pull inspiration. I mean, obviously we, we adjust and tweak and we put our own spin on things. Mallow is more of a kind of, becomes more experimental. So we definitely are more of a kind of fusion end of that. So we'll look at um, sort of, really playful takes on different international cuisines. So it's almost like everything we do for Mildred's will eventually feed into Mallow. Mm. Mallow's a kind of slightly kind of, um, so we would do a hummus with like an Indian achar pickle in the middle of it kind of thing. Okay, like you would do yeah. like a kind of um, sort of a play on a play of something. Okay, cool. So That's like, nice. And Alessandra, who I work with, um, so she, she's my co-development chef. Um, she comes from a very kind of Michelin star background. So she did all the kind of 
fancy hotels in Italy and Locatelli and all of that. And, and so Mallow becomes an interesting playground for her as well because it's like it's more on a kind of fine dining, like more elevated, more presentation led. Mm-hmm. And definitely things that maybe feel like a little bit too odd. Okay. For, yeah. for Mildred's will end up in Yeah. So would you say, like, surface level talking, Mildred's is slightly more mainstream than Mallow? Like, if you're not plant based, would you be like, okay, we'll go to Mildred's first. And then, if you're loving us, go to Mallow? Or would you say they're both pretty on par in terms of like occasion and mainstream i think it's a good question i think definitely if you were taking like i like to think of mildred's as a really safe place to take someone who's maybe new to plant-based food and Mm. not scare them too much do you know what i mean it's like it's like we have the more kind of we have slightly more challenging things maybe that you haven't heard of before but we also have things that you'll probably be fairly comfortable with yeah and and like we're not going to push you too far Mm. like it's a safe place to bring your family to for example like where they're not going to need like a dictionary to understand the menu hopefully and like um and also there is there are generally things that are kind of based in traditional cooking to some extent so like we do like our own house-made vegan kimchi, but most people know what kimchi is. Yeah. They're fairly comfortable eating it. So yeah, I'd say probably milk just okay. slightly more accessible. Yeah. It's so funny <laughs> you say about the dictionary because I was about to say half the battle with some people is like them understanding the menu and knowing what to what to Definitely. order. Um, I know my mom, I'm, I'm always like, do you need a hand? Because like, it's just like, sometimes you don't know what you want because you're not sure on what it's trying to say (laughs) um so yeah that's that's really true and mallow i believe has got a massive sustainability focus Mm. i mean they both do to an extent but i believe mallow more so what does that kind of mean what do you guys do behind the scenes that maybe people wouldn't see so i think that i mean we've always had quite a lot um quite a strong sustainability focus in the business it's always been a big driver for both and we've had zero waste kitchens for a really really long time like since way before it was a normal thing we had recycling systems and proper kind of food waste and um and we had like advocates in every kitchen um to make sure that everything's being kind of um handled properly back of house so are we making sure that everything's going in the right bins are we making sure that we're be we're being cautious about what we use so the other part of that obviously is like um the seasonality which is really important so we always make sure that we're taking off we're trying to stay as close as possible to seasonality with both menus but more so with mallow we're really rigorous about that and if there are things that we know we can't import safely or in a sustainable way we just don't use them Mm. um we try to buy as locally as possible for mallow and then that carries all the way through to just even the way that we cook are we using every part of that plant that we can are we making like proper base stocks are we using like if we're using leeks are we using the tops to make a kind of hay for garnish and things like that are we trying to use things in a really thoughtful way and that goes even to like making sure we have bike to work schemes for our chefs and things like that Mm. so are we getting people working close enough to their homes are we making sure that people have like a good sustainable journey even so we try to think about every part of that process there's a lot of work that goes into that though Mm. like I can imagine it's so easy just to be like bin bin (laughs) as you go but like it's oh yeah that does take a bit of work I mean yeah (laughs) what does a zero waste kitchen mean because obviously there's some waste yeah like what does it mean to have zero a zero oh, so, waste kitchen? So we do like zero to landfill basically. So we mm-hmm. we have full recycling. So we make sure that we I mean it's it's amazingly unusual in professional kitchens. Like the kind of recycling you do at home doesn't necessarily happen 
in a lot of kitchens it's kind of everything just in the same bin in wow so we, we have to have like the four bin situation inside the kitchen which does take a bit of training like a lot of chefs are not used to that especially international chefs <laughs> that is mad yeah. yeah no that is that is really crazy and you've been at Mildred's now I believe 17 years it's nearly 20 now yeah nearly 20 years yeah. <laughs> and how has it changed since you've been there like what things where is it now compared to where it was when you arrived yeah it wasn't like a really foodie place when I arrived it was kind of foodie but it was definitely a kind of um we were one of the only veg if you can't even imagine that now but we were one of the only vegetarian restaurants in central London I mean that's crazy that's also like really <laughs> impressive yeah it's like it's really funny now and then you know we didn't even like there was cranks up by good street and that was like the other vegetarian restaurant and it was at that point quite an old brand so we were we were it and we were packed I mean we were absolutely like we always have been busy on that site it's still insanely busy at that site but we would queue round the corner wow. like we'd be sitting there having our lunch and like waiting for the restaurants open the queue would be all the way around the back of the john snow so it was always a crazy little busy place but it was i think not as food led as it is now i am so excited to announce that i am now an affiliate of huel Huel plays such an important role in my life and after having the co-founder of Huel, James Collier, on the podcast, I can confirm that when they say each bottle is nutritionally complete with 20 grams of protein and 26 of your vitamins and minerals, they mean it. I am such a breakfast person and if I haven't had my breakfast in the mornings, you know about it. But sometimes you need something quick and easy, but I am not willing to compromise on nutrition or taste. And that is where Huel comes in. My go-to flavours are chocolate and vanilla. And if you're listening to this and thinking you need to restock on your Huel, head to the show notes and click the link and place your order today. Yeah, I guess innovation wise you guys have just kind of kept progressing 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 which is so fun for you to be kind of at the forefront of that because I guess it's like a playground you've got two well no you've got do you say seven locations yeah so we've got five Mildreds and two Mallow yeah so like you've got so many playgrounds to play in in terms of like experimenting and stuff like that which is really really cool yeah definitely so meat alternatives I want to touch on this what are your thoughts on it so I, I, I'm interested in this at the moment because I think you said something at the beginning, Georgia, that kind of come, I think strikes to the heart of this, that food is really emotional. It says a lot about where you're from and how you grew up. And I think if you grew up in a very kind of meat-led environment, if you grew up where that was a big part of how you ate, I think I think meat alternatives are a useful transition point and it's a kind of comfortable point for people to move to. I think that most vegans, the longer they're vegan, the less likely they are to start eating meat alternatives. I think you gradually kind of grow out of it. And I think where there's been a lot of people, a lot more people becoming plant-based in the last few years, you see a kind of general pushback where most a lot of vegans don't want to see plant-based meats on their on menus anymore. But I still think there's a place for those people who are like if you want to bring your family and you know that they're going to be more comfortable eating like a mock chicken burger and you know it's a good product and it's been thoughtfully made. I think it's still useful for those people who are new to it. Mm. And it should never like for us it's always kind of sat in the background of the menu. Definitely in Mallow, we see like pushback from customers where they just don't want to see it on the menu at all. And that's fine. But like, but I still think there's a kind of place for it. Mm. Um, But I, you know, if you grew up vegetarian or vegan, as a lot of people do, especially if you're from India or Sri Lanka or somewhere like that, you would, it wouldn't probably even occur to you to eat it. You'd be like, why, why would I eat that? Yeah. um, And probably it's quite actually borderline disgusting right? yeah like, yeah 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 completely like, they're like this is what yeah and you don't want with it oh, okay right interesting yeah but yeah that's a really good point I think 
you're right. It's a, it's easy for people to understand. It's a good stepping stone in mm. the right direction. There's so much that you can do with vegetables. It's, I mean, like, you, like the things that you've already reeled off that's been on the menus. Like it's crazy what you can do with vegetables. But if you're not a foodie and you're not really into cooking and you don't really care as much as some, it's a really good stepping stone. And it does make life maybe a bit easier because sometimes, I mean, personally, I think cooking plant-based is so quick and easy. Mm-hmm. I don't think vegetables take as long to cook as meat for example i think it's so easy but some people will be like that's a hero of the plate that's the main part of the meal i don't know what to do without it so yeah it is it's more of an education basis um and i think over time there'll be other alternatives that we'll use we don't that don't exist right now in terms of like I don't, you know, at the moment, like soy protein has been a huge thing, but there's so much you can do with mushrooms, for example, that maybe that will kind of advance. We've seen some really cool brands come out like Fable making really cool things. And like, mm. there's some other things out there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a good stepping stone, but it's hard for you guys because as a restaurant, you kind of need to be a bit of a people pleaser to an extent. So you yeah. want to have it on the menu for those who need it, but then don't offend those who don't want it. Like, where's the middle ground? Well, I think it's interesting because like for some some products have never worked for us so no kind of meat alternatives that were similar to beef so things like impossible burgers like never worked for us our customers Mm. do not want them like we can't sell them and we when it was a really big thing do you remember like i don't know what it was about it must be about five six years ago when suddenly it was like oh they can make something that looks just like a beef burger and it's like we launched it on one site and everyone was like take it off because we don't want to see something that looks like that much like meat it's like actually quite triggering for a lot of our customers yeah so I think some of those things work well for other brands so they work well for meat brands and look if it means that someone who normally would eat a beef burger is eating something that isn't hurting an animal like I think that's a good thing no yeah yeah, (laughs) 100% I think it depends on your your why I always talk about this on the mm. podcast like what your why would be for being plant-based or cutting back on certain things if that's what you've decided to do and I think if your why is animals then having Mm. a plant-based option is great if your why is health then just look at which alternative maybe you're choosing or look at some other options. But I think with you guys, because innovation is so at the forefront of what you do, people may be like, I want to see your version of a patty that can be made with other things like beetroot and beans and all of those kind of things. Um, And is that something that you guys did instead? Yeah, so we have, so for example, in Mallow, we did like a beetroot tempeh smash burger. So we took the idea of a smash burger, the kind of texture and everything, and but just it's very clean product. It's both like organic tempeh made in London from like European soybeans. Mm. And it's just a very simple, clean product. But you do get the kind of thin kind of smash patty and you get the kind of, you still get the experience, but without a lot of intervention yeah so we do work on things like that as well but generally like as you said there's so much to drill into with just how to cook vegetables and how to work with vegetables that we don't really have to a lot we Mm. do have um we do have the chicken burgers that are still really really popular for us but we are always reviewing I mean, not all meat replacements are created equal, right? Like there are some that are very... So we have uh, simplicity sausages on the menu and there's no kind of alternative protein there. They're made with fermented vegetables. They're incredibly low impact. Mm -hmm. So like the skin is made from hemp. It's not like a... It's not a... It's not processed. Processed, Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So I think there's a danger in kind of grouping all of those things together as if they kind of are all the same thing Mm -hmm. there's quite a lot happening in the meat replacement world yes so true (laughs) it's a big umbrella term and there is a lot more that goes on what about the cheese alternatives and dairy alternatives yeah it's tricky right yeah it's very tricky i i yeah i don't i've never come close to anything that tastes like cheddar okay like, yeah like, true. it doesn't really like this stuff yeah there it, is it's like if you really need it and yeah. you're really missing it there's things that could kind of give you the idea of it yeah but it's not really um 
a strong area. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, yogurt's great. Yogurt's great. <laughs> yogurt, they've done well. I mean, I used to have a business called Greedy Vegan and we delivered plant-based products to people's doors. And I was in a very fortunate position where I got to try a lot of different products. Yeah. And I would only put things in the boxes or on the on the site that I thought were good. So I, cheddar-wise, I think there was a really cool brand called Alt Farm. Okay. And they are from Somerset and they've done quite well. You can grate it, um, which sounds obvious but a lot of cheddars or cheddars look into that you can't grate Um, yeah so that was a really cool one um i think cathedral city are now doing their plant version which to be fair i've got some in the fridge it's okay like if you need that hit it kind of hits the spot to an extent my other favorite brand is i am not okay Mm. they do like their feta i love and their parmesan i love um palace cultures is good yes from crystal palace i like that they do uh like an ash um goat's cheese type mm. like chevre type cheese which yeah. is really really tasty i really like that and there's um brand called honestly tasty that yes. do a blue cheese that's really really good that's on the vegan that's actually on our christmas menu in mallow oh, amazing um so yeah that's a very good product so yeah. i think where it's like even the kind of mold ripened ones and stuff those are quite good but the hard cheeses the hard cheese the struggle is, a, is real. A hard, yeah. It's such a loved cheese by so many. It's such a comfort cheese. Yes. That like, it's got to be, it's got to hit the spot. Yeah. And like a lot of the time it just doesn't. Like, what's the brand? The Fire Life. It's just, it, it's, how is that even on the shelf? Like, it's just not, it's just not cheese. It's just not cheese. Um, okay, so I have some questions about the cookbook that mm. you have just written. So this is your third cookbook. So how's the process been? We were speaking before we started recording. You did it in a month, which is crazy. And how's the process been? And what was the focus on this one? So me and Alessandra wrote this one together, me and my um, co-development chef. And so for us, the first two cookbooks were very much like, these are restaurant books. So the first one's a vegetarian book. It very much represented what we were cooking in the restaurant at the time. And then the second book, the vegan book, was after we kind of were on that journey to turn the restaurants plant-based. And again, very much a kind of restaurant book. So this one was like, well, what do we cook at home? Like, how do we try to do what we've done for Mildred's, like have accessible menus, interesting menus that are exciting and colorful, but how do you actually do that at home without it taking all day? Mm. Like how, and so we took a kind of double approach, which was like, recipes for people that really just don't know how to cook <laughs> like yeah this is like really easy yeah <laughs> like you really don't need to know much about this and then also recipes for people who maybe do know how to cook but haven't cooked vegan before mm. so I wanted like my vision for the book was like if you were maybe like I don't know if like one of your kids had just gone vegan like if my mom had had a cookbook for when I decided to turn vegan at 14 like overnight like what would be a really useful family book for her and also if I was like an 18 year old 20 year old just starting uni and I needed a book like what would be a useful book for me Mm. so like so that was the kind of that was the idea was have a really good range of like a toolkit yeah for any kind of vegan occasion everything from like gonna have a big brunch spread we're gonna have christmas dinner we're gonna have just like 10 minute meals to cook at home like even recipes that are really kid friendly and very much tested by my kids (laughs) and like and also as as kind of busy working people because both me and ali will cook all day and you come home and you're not about to spend another 45 minutes in the kitchen like you want to no, eat you want to eat and yeah so what actually good question so you are cooking all day you're tasting bits and bobs all day what do you cook when you get home what's your kind of go-to yeah it's it's tricky because the eating all day part means that my eating schedule is so off most yeah. of the time and but we'll have a funny one where we'll cook all day for like eight days and then we'll be like on the computer so like so I'll cook stuff like um 
things that I can throw together in like 10 minutes. So we've got like an udon dish mm. um, where it's like, okay, that's a packet of udon, some gochujang, some sesame oil, and some tender stem broccoli. Like that's what I'll have in the fridge. And yeah. it'll be like, that's done, done. in five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like, but also so tasty. Yeah, so you're just hip, yeah. filling and like not too kind of stressful to make. But when I'm home on the weekends, I am, I don't know if I'm like a masochist or whatever. Like if I'm, if I've got a full day at home, I will cook all day <laughs> yeah it's so nice though like it's a stress reliever it's relaxing for you then it's yeah. your way to kind of unwind which is great that you can do that for work and it's a literal obsession <laughs> like it is like every I'd like I never stop thinking about it I never stop thinking about food and Ali's exactly the same and like most of us are and it's so weird it's like with chefs like it's so kind of I love it. You can always find common ground with another chef because once you start talking about food, like the passion just kicks in yeah. and you'll just keep going on. But like like we have a recipe in the book. So the kids like to do like a big spread or and because we all eat different things at home, I quite like to just have a full table of mm-hmm. stuff. So we've got like um like a kind of taco spread in the Amazing. book and we'll do I've managed to get that down to like where I can make about sort of a full table in about 25 minutes. So with the sour cream, wow. the guacamole, the salsa, jackfruit, everything. Like Amazing. I mean, that's good. Your kids must eat so well. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because we were like, we were in Barcelona recently when we went to this restaurant and they were like, oh, do the kids want some like tomato pasta? Because the menu was all like, like chipotle jackfruit tacos i'm like my kids are very much in their comfort zone with chipotle yeah, jackfruit tacos <laughs> that's fine <laughs> so, that's so good that yeah. is so so good so people can now buy the cookbook already online in mildred's are you selling it in restaurants yeah so it's in all the restaurants and we also redid all the covers of the other cookbooks so they make a really nice little set now so you really can buy cool. all three which Amazing. is great and they look really good and um and then yeah on amazon and waterstones like okay yeah, fab. really cool good. so we have two questions to finish off my first question for you is what is your current favorite thing on the menu at mildred's and at Mallow's? Okay, so definitely at Mildred's. I really like that aloo bonda. Uh, We've had it on a couple of years ago as well, like a spring version with pea. So it's Mm. like, it's, um, so it's like a potato cake. um, And then it comes, like it has a gram flour batter. And then we serve that with a beetroot fenugreek writer. Fenugreek is one of my absolute favorite ingredients. I love it. What is that? So it's also called meti and it's a type of spice. And I recommend if you haven't gone with it before, wear gloves oh, when okay. you when you handle it because the smell oh. will be like in your hands wow. for like days. Um, but it's just a really fa- uh, like fragrant, um, and it works really well with the sweetness of of beetroot. Mm. So that's really beautiful, and that really says like winter to me, like okay, the nice. golds, and then you got the pomegranate, and you got the beautiful purple beetroot. Just yeah, love, like, again, it's a color. The whole color, yeah. yeah. Nice. And then, um, see, I am a little bit obsessed with Indian food at the moment. <laughs> I think it's because we were in Mumbai like four weeks ago. But yeah. in Mallow, there's the pulihora, which is like a type of tamarind rice. And I love mm. tamarind, absolutely yeah. love tamarind. So it's a kind of like a spice base that you make by grinding up different lentils. And then you do it with a kind of tamarind water and then fry the basmati with it oh, I just wow. think it's gorgeous I love that, that dish that sounds insane yeah and is your Christmas menu already yes. going so I... we just started this week so wow. yeah we've got like Mildred's we always do like a bonkers burger okay cool like the bigger the better they get bigger every year we have to buy like bigger (laughs) skewers to hold them together so it's like the bubble and squeak patty cranberry and apple relish amazing Uh, sounds like massive um and then mallow we've got the biggest christmas menu we've ever done which is six courses wow and we took the theme of like christmas in london so everything from like caviar that looks like christmas lights to like i think that looks like the desserts like called snow and grit so it's like um the idea is like a blanket of snow that has like the little i know the grit on the side so it's got like a crumb on the side and then the last part the petit four for that was 
the idea is um, gold and coal. So you know that old thing of like, could you a naughty, you get yes. coal in your stocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I so love it. So it's like a little pat de fruit, like a little black pat de fruit with black sugar, charcoal sugar. So cool. And then a gold nugget made from Amazing. yuzu chocolate. So, wow. Yeah. The thought that goes into it is insane. <laughs> I need to go and try all this. This is amazing. <laughs> And my final question is, what would your last meal be? Starter, main course, and dessert. This, wow. I feel like it's going to be the hardest question for you ever. <laughs> That's like impossible. Yeah, me <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I do think about this quite a lot and yeah. it changes quite a lot. Uh, yeah, mine changes quite regularly. Yeah, I think it would have to be like something from, if it was going to be my last meal, there would definitely be like a real comfort food element to it. It would definitely mm-hmm. be just like, it would probably be <laughs> the thing that keeps coming into my head is like it would have to be fresh bread. Okay. That would have to be part of it. Like yeah. and like really good quality oil. Like something really simple yeah. like that. Like good sea oil salt. is so underrated. Yeah, like it yeah. would have to be it would be something quite clean. Okay, nice. So that's um, a starter. Yeah. <laughs> fresh bread, good olive oil, lovely salt. Yeah, and even though I am obsessed with Indian food at the moment, I think probably like for a main course, I'd probably go more Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. So my husband's Sephardi Jewish, so his family food is very like um, very much from a kind of Syrian Jewish tradition. Yeah, and so like things like tahini, like things like salads full of pomegranate, like yeah. uh, like all of that kind of food is really is heaven. It's, that's yeah. my favorite. And then dessert. I mean, I'm not a huge dessert person, even though I was a pastry chef for years. Oh, wow. Um, but super dark chocolate. Yes. Are we talking like 85% yes. type? Yeah. Yeah, only. Like, yeah. If I, if I ever started eating like the more milk chocolate end of the spectrum, it's that's pure stress eating for me. Like, if I'm, that's just like, that's yeah. like trauma if, eating. If 50% comes out, we know there's an yeah, issue. Something bad is happening. Yeah, like everyone at work knows if I start eating like white bread, like <laughs> things have gone terribly, terribly wrong. So, He's having a bad day. Yeah. So like, Amazing. yeah, definitely like the 85% range. Like, yeah. I love that with like a bit of chili or a bit of sea salt. Yes, sea salt is good. my go-to. Yeah, sometimes a little bit of kind of salted caramel oh, situation. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and talking all things. You're I think welcome. we could just keep talking about food. I mean, yeah, the conversation could go on, but we better cut it short at some point. But thank you so so much You're for coming. So welcome. On. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. As the end of 2023 is getting closer, I would love to ask you a favour. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you could rate the podcast, preferably five stars, but rate it however you best see fit, that would be amazing as it helps others find the podcast and it helps us grow, which is my main aim. This podcast has gone from strength to strength this year, so it would love to end on a high. Thank you so, so much again and see you again next week. 